and welcome to episode one of Evangel again, uh, the Neon Genesis Evangelion relaunch <laughs> podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Kelly, and I am here with April Lynn Cowett. Hi, I'm April Lynn. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're actually doing this. We're actually going to see if we can record a podcast and see how we uh, how we feel about Evangelion all these years later. When did you? Uh, when was your first exposure to Evangelion? Uh, well, as you know, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, it was when we were in college. Yeah, we are yeah. college friends, to be fair. <laughs> we are, we are. Um, so, yeah, it was probably, what, 2001, 2002? Um, so, yeah, we rented out a lecture hall, and I don't know, I don't remember. I think we watched, like, two episodes per night, and that was that. Was that. The classic... Uh, exposure to anime when you're when you get to college oh i mean i'd already watched anime before that um i started with sailor moon back in oh, the right, day yeah back in the day as a good uh high schooler i think is when it was pl- airing on toonami that would make sense yeah um, I, I i didn't really have much exposure to anime until i got to college so maybe i maybe i'm the outlier here you you were definitely the outlier. I was watching Saturday morning anime on the Sci Fi mm. Channel, and so at like fourteen, I was watching uh, Demon City, Shinjuku, or whatever. It, which city? I've never, You've never that. seen that. <laughs> no. uh, I don't remember a lot about it except it had demons, and there was a city, and there was uh, some partial nudity. So that that Risk was probably egg. part. Yeah, part of what <laughs> hooked me in was just oh. This doesn't happen on Saturday morning cartoons normally. Yeah, I, I like I when I was growing up, I think the most uh, Japanese anime I got close was Voltron uh, back in the day. Again, giant mech anime, but I don't really I don't remember anything aside from the fact that like uh, it looked cool. Like, yeah, well, like, I mean that's all you need to know about it. It's oh, giant sure. robots fighting in space. It's not very good. <laughs> I, I can tell you catching up on it and rewatching it we could do a rewatch of that one we could go back and watch the um the japanese version that's true didn't netflix did a uh a reboot or was it a remaster or reboot of that one uh it's a reboot it's completely redone animation it's western style animation hmm maybe maybe that i mean there's plenty there's a lot of veins of anime to mine here so to speak um anyways mike how how did you get into watching Evangelion first? Evangelion, I am going to keep doing that, aren't I? I know. It's, it, that's going to be, <laughs> what, was... like, we're going to trip over all of our words here, folks. It's going to be a little bit, uh, as we slide back into yes. uh, the In podcasting In case Mike mood. didn't say, this is our first podcast ever. Oh, you didn't have to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll get better going forward. But anyways, Mike. You um, can't promise that. Um no, so yeah, uh, I so I kind of came into the thing again in college, but it was actually a couple of years. We were the same class in college, uh, but I got started pretty much right away. Um, so my my roommate, uh, first person I met in college was a guy named Chris, uh, who April April Lynn, you know them him pretty well. He was the first person you met there. Um, yeah, he I I actually met Aww. him on my birthday. Uh, before uh, starting up the uh, school year in the middle of August. And he was the first person I saw there. Um, he and then he just some... never went away. 
no, now he lives like three blocks away from me. Uh, I can't <laughs> escape him. But uh, but yeah, he had. To, so when when I was with uh, Chris, uh, he had some ideas about like stuff he really wanted to expose people to really big. And Chris is one of those people that has like really big opinions. And like you have to bow to, you know, <laughs> that doesn't sound gonna, like Chris at all. <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, Um but, like, yeah, you have to basically go with him. But he does, like, you know, that whole thing about, like, I think this is cool. You need to see this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the first order of business, like, the very first order of business is, like, we're watching Neon Genesis Evangelion. And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell any of this is. Uh, and it was kind of, like, a very uh, bizarre thing for me because I didn't even know how to approach it in the beginning. Like, and then you watched it and said... I don't know what the hell any of this is. <laughs> no, totally. Like I, I've, I've had to, I rewatched it uh, once, maybe a year after my initial watch mm. and uh, just to get another look at it. But like, even then it was kind of it, like Evangelion is this weird, like, uh, like it's very labyrinthine in terms of its plotting. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was what I, I was first trying to untangle all of that. The first time I watched it through. Right. Um, yeah, it, but, like, it was fascinating to me, like, the imagery and what it ended up... The thing that, like, really drew me into it was, like, the... Uh, like, it was talking about things that I had never really seen anything, let alone a, you know, in in, in my mind at the time, let alone a cartoon at that time. Right. Uh, like, it tackle with. And, like, you know, all these ideas about, uh, you know like these big world spanning things, but actual real people like thrust into the middle of it and then dealing with ideas such as consciousness and all that kind of stuff, which we're going to get into here again, I think, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like it was kind of fascinating to me. What was, uh, so I guess with regard to uh, like your particular take on it, like what was your first impression of it? And like, what, like how are you approaching this, uh, this particular rewatch uh, differently? So I don't have a lot of really firm memories of the first time I watched it. I remember kind Mm. of, yeah, I remember it being really cool. Yeah. Um, I think um, I have vague memories of the plot. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely remember those last, whatever, two or four episodes. And then the end of Evangelion movie were just complete and utterly bizarre and out of left field and i tried to rewatch probably a year ago uh and i got about halfway through with the reasoning being that i keep telling people that end of evangelion the movie is completely unnecessary that it's Mm. just fan service and with the exception of a little bit at the end but even that um that has scenes that nobody needs to see ever um yeah and i think you know what i'm talking about um but i never made it all the way through but then i um but i remember that i remember that movie standing out as just a complete departure from the rest of it um so really what i'm looking for is to revisit the story uh remind myself of all the pieces that i've forgotten um, this time I definitely want to pay attention to the cinematography. You know, that's something that I've grown to appreciate a lot more as I've gotten older is how the use of color and, uh, 
quote unquote camera angles uh, and symbols in anime. Mm. And so I'm really excited to watch this and see how Evangelion uses those elements. Yeah, the not so secret thing about uh, why I want to do this is like those last two episodes in Evangelion uh, that you referenced, like, I kind of just want to get almost get through the other episodes just to see that again, because it really <laughs> blew my mind back then. Uh, and I like and I don't remember much of anything except like the very last moment of the final episode. And uh, end of Evangelion is just this weird, weird thing. But we'll get to that when we get to that, I think. Yes, we have a lot of episodes to get through before that happens. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, but I'm with you with regard to like, you know, I think we're, you know, we're older now. Like, I think our our critical faculties have developed a little bit more. Yeah, Um, for sure. So like, yeah, I like looking at some of this stuff, uh, especially in the episodes we're going to be talking about, like, there are things that we noticed that I, I like. I, we just didn't have the skill to notice back, or maybe I should just speak for myself. Things that I didn't have the skill to notice back then. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, even though we were in college and we were being taught how to think critically, um, I think that anime at the time was our escape from that. Um, yeah. It was an opportunity to just have fun, and not that we didn't think about the deeper meanings when they were presented to us. I think that a lot of the episodes did make us think. But I think at the end of the day, it was a thing we did with our friends. And then we went off and did other things and went back to studying the things that we were paying big money to study. Mm. Uh, and now we have the luxury and the freedom and the life experience to be able to take a deeper look at those things Yeah. in the show now. I, I mean, especially at least for me and like in what I'm looking for, like... Previously, I like I approached Evangelion as like this Gordian knot of a plot that I wanted to untangle, and like mm, I wanted mm-hmm. to know like you know what is second impact, like all that kind of stuff. Right. But like now looking back on it, um, like I'm really really interested in what the show wants to say, and right. um, and and how effective it, it it is at saying that. Yeah, um, for sure. This the specific thing, thing that I'm going to be looking for, I think, a lot on these uh, rewatches is that. So the character of Shinji, uh, like, I, I kind of had a negative opinion of him through the first watch of that movie. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of, uh, kind of like very, I don't know the right word, but very like inert, not active, like very passive in terms mm-hmm. of like how he approaches a lot of problems. Given the benefit of hindsight and 20 years hindsight, uh, and with my own particular uh, struggles that I've had with depression and things like that, you can really like uh, it's it's kind of night and day in how I look at Shinji as opposed to he's not a passive like p- pitiable character, but his actions make sense in the in right. the context of he is depressed for very valid reasons which we're going to get into. But I want to see how it portrays depression because. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want like there is there are certain ways that you can portray uh, certain mental illness that can be exploitative or they can be a, a little bit like dissonant from the actual experience. Um, and I want to see like uh, how Evangelion did it. And with with full knowledge that this is uh, close to twenty years ago that this made, so it's going to misstep. Um, there's mm-hmm. not necessarily going to be a uh, like a huge kind of revelatory, uh, like, you know, groundbreaking in that way. 
this is a very human series, and I like this includes its creator. So I really want to see like how he approached that concept as he struggled with it himself. Um, the other thing that I like kind of along those same lines, and this is not a thing that I really uh, uh, thought of at the time, was that like the way the things that Evangelion wants to say about uh, masculinity and also femininity. Uh, mm-hmm. It's there's a lot of ways, like a lot of times Shinji be told, you know, be a man, you know, and he's given a lot of different examples of it. And, you know, like which ones are toxic, which ones are helpful? What does he internalize? And like, what does the show actually want to say about what is like harmful, uh, Mm -hmm. like gender roles and things like that? Um, And like, even in these first four episodes, uh, I think there's a lot to say about that. And I'm really interested to see what that's like going forward. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And actually, that last point isn't something I'd really thought about until we started doing this rewatch. Mm. Um, And I noticed just how there's a lot going on in terms of gender dynamics that's intentional. So that'll be interesting for me going forward is taking a look at what the show is saying about that. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things and a lot of nuance to a lot of these things uh, that we're going to get into as we go along. But uh, we might as well start at the beginning. Uh, so this episode, excuse me, is going to cover episodes one through four. Um, and we've been watching the Netflix version because it was just released on Netflix. Uh, we've both been watching the Japanese language with uh, English subtitles. Because uh, I know there's a lot of discrepancy about what particular scripts are used uh, to talk about Evangelion. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, we're going to start with episode one, Angel Attack. It's our first introduction to the world of Evangelion. Um, and I think probably the uh, the first thing I noticed on my rewatch is the, as, as the first episode starts up, they're when you're watching on Netflix, there is this button that says skip intro. <laughs> and I don't care who you are. If you skip the intro, you're doing it wrong. Um, yeah, I saw that in your notes and it made me laugh. Mike wrote, why would anybody hit this button? Yeah. and Well, they- so they do that for all shows that have an intro credits. Oh, sure. sure. Um, and in a lot of cases, once you've seen the intro a couple of times, you're like, okay, I'm good. But yeah, if you are not listening to Cruel Angel's thesis every single time, you are doing this show wrong. Absolutely. I think like that that song is iconic. Like it I mean it's nostalgic in a way because it's like, you know, I I when you watched it back in the day, you watched it full thing and all. You couldn't really skip the intros. You could fast forward. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean <laughs> Well, you could skip it because we had we had DVDs. The, well, uh, you did, I didn't. Um Oh, you so, Okay. Okay. Well, maybe uh, we didn't either. Uh, but basically the thing with that, though, is like the the whole montage of that and the whole uh, like the tone it sets is kind of incredible. It is a song that is very like it's singing out and not quite praising Shinji, but it's like it is this song that is like, you know, you know, rise to the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are forces arrayed against you and you can do that. It's a very, it's a little bit dissonant compared to like what actually happens in the episodes because there's a little bit more uh, introspection. But like that song is just so incredibly 
uh, like it gets you ready to watch this in a very. It gets you ready for robots fighting <laughs> angels, is what it does. It's very emotional and powerful, and almost not quite triumphant, but almost. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain sorrow to it, a certain kind of like undercurrent of you know uh, wistfulness to that song, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but again, if you're rewatching with us, please, I'm begging you, uh, watch. Don't skip it. Watch that song. <laughs> um, yeah, and also the way it's animated. I mean, it's animated in a very anime style. You've got the, you know, shots of the various characters looking longingly off in the distance with scenery mm. in the background. Um, and then you've got this fast flash of all the main characters all in a row just their face looking straight at the camera mm. um and Very i don't annoying. know if you have watched a ton of other anime in the meantime yeah. mike okay but yeah it's it's very typical it's very much a product of its time in terms of like the shot composition and stuff like that uh, but it definitely is much more all the things we've already said mm-hmm. i don't need to repeat myself fair enough <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the topic of music, though, uh, and before we oh. get into the episode proper, do I we have to address oh, the "Fly Me to the Moon" thing. It's so sad. I think we do. Yeah, of course we do. I have it in my uh, show notes. No, no, totally. Um, <laughs> I, I so yeah. So for those who don't know, like uh, the Netflix version uh, does not include. Uh, there's various covers in the original of the song "Fly Me to the Moon," uh, the old Frank Sinatra tune. Uh, a lot of different vocalists, a lot of different types of uh, treatments to it, but they're not in these versions. Um, and it sucks. I, I, it's, I, mean, I it's really the worst. It. Yeah, it, it was it, a licensing issue for all yeah. reports. They just couldn't get the license for it. And so they took some instrumental music from one of the main characters' themes. It's very quiet piano and it has a different tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and would you like to talk about why that makes such a big impact? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these episodes end on a very trying moment. And like, like you know, it could be, you know, a battle or it could be just this strong, like, you know, character, uh, character moment. And all of these episodes are very, very intense. And the Fly Me to the Moon is soft, light, and kind of hopeful in a way it's it's yeah. almost like a breath of air after you've been kind of ho- like holding your breath the entire show uh and like i really miss having that and i, I think that's what they tried to do with the instrumental version but i i, I don't think if it, it works quite as well no it doesn't work at all it's it's a direct contrast because on the one hand fly me to the moon was this like you said it's a breath of fresh air it almost soothes you after watching this very intense i don't even know how long these episodes are 30 minutes uh, 20 to 30. Yeah. Depending. So you've been watching this 20 to 30 minutes of intense, in a lot of cases, anguish. And mm. then all of a sudden you've got this pleasant female vocalist singing, fly me to the moon. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it really serves to start, uh, it serves as a stark contrast to all the hardship in the episode. So it makes it seem even worse, mm. uh, by contrast. And then the piano vocal, piano vocals, piano instrumental that they chose. It's very um, somber mm. and has that touch of 
angst to it hmm. um, from the show. And so it doesn't give the same impression at all. It's more thematically consistent as opposed yeah. to... Yeah, exactly. It follows the... While it's quieter, it's a different kind of quiet. And mm-hmm. again, totally understandable why they did it. Um, they could have recorded a different end theme instead, but I think e- no matter what they did, they were going to get backlash from fans. So why even bother? No, absolutely. I, I mean, it, it's a tough thing. Like, I mean, you're you're releasing uh, in the West. I don't think there has been an official Evangelion release in the West, at least not since very, the very early days, but... Yeah, in order to adapt something like this, there's certain compromises that have to be made, I guess. Um, some of it's, you know, more impactful than others. I, I miss the Fly Me to the Moon stuff, but well, ultimately, yeah. Yeah, well, as you may have seen, I linked yep. a video on YouTube um, that has all 26 covers, one after another. And I've actually just given up on listening. I don't listen to the end music that Netflix. I just mute it and turn on the next one on YouTube. Uh, I, I have done the exact same thing. Actually, I found that video and I'm like, yes, this is precisely what I need. But yeah. Uh, okay. So we talked about the music. We talked about uh, kind of the overarching stuff. Let's actually dive into the episode a little bit uh, proper here. Um, so yeah, what was your... Like the first episode, Angel Attack, what was your main kind of takeaway from that? And uh, we're not going to recap this beat by beat, um, but we're kind of trying to talk a little bit more about the, you know, the overall themes of these episodes. We're going to call to mind uh, specific scenes as needed. But uh, Mm -hmm. what was the what do you think was the overarching or what struck you about this episode in the first place? Um, So the very first I mean, just that very first shot we get Mm. of the stillness of the city, Mm. the cicadas buzzing. You see the war machines at the ready. Uh, It just gives this very strong picture of this is a world in trouble, but nothing's happening right now. It's a moment of stillness between battle, perhaps, or perhaps the battle's done. Yeah, I mean, um, it's definitely like a, like a feeling of restraint, like re- like like stress that's been bottled up. They're ready to fight, but it's not quite that time. Yeah, and also of isolation isn't the quite word I want, but um, abandonment, like a city that's been abandoned. Oh, I a see. A place where, and as we find out, it has been abandoned for the most part, but yeah. it just feels empty. That's the word I'm looking for, empty. Yeah. Um, it's very it's very artificial in a way. Yeah. Um so I mean that was the first thing that stood out to me just as like from the very beginning like this still holds up. I mean maybe some of it's nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to know. I think in terms of the meat of the episode, I think this episode is really about the getting to know each of the characters. Yeah. Showcasing yeah. who Shinji and Misato and Ikari and uh what's her face? The other one. Ray. Uh Ray. I I forgot about her. <laughs> uh and Ritsuko. Um, um yeah, they do throw like I mean it has to be a setup episode by definition, but like yeah, they throw a lot at you in this first episode. 
uh, lots of names, lots of people. But I think they characterize them pretty well. Like within oh, about sure. five minutes of no- of seeing every single character, you know, like what their major personality quirks are. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's talk about um, Shinji versus Misato. Yeah, I mean, like when we first see Shinji, like he is like he's got a phone and he's not talking into it because uh, he can't reach anybody. He's out in the middle by himself, alone, isolated. And then, yeah, the the scene of Misato in her car just screaming up to, uh, like, the edge where this giant monster is attacking, grabbing Shinji, throwing him in her car, and then just jetting out of there. Uh, she is all action. She is all, like, external force and uh, all this kind of stuff, whereas Shinji is very internalized, and you get that immediately. Mm-hmm, and the car mm-hmm. ride back to... Uh, nerve headquarters uh central dogma like really kind of uh accentuates that um uh, there's one scene uh i i think that you mentioned that was like uh the picture that shinji has of misato it's this very like pinup girlish <laughs> uh you know uh postcard it's got lipstick and, and, and the lipstick crawling all over it and yeah, it's a picture I, of her in you know leaning over in this bikini and yeah, a little, <laughs> little bit of fan service right off the bat. Um, before Whereas even met Shinji's the character. picture is his ID picture that she's going to give him, or maybe just a, a like a mugshot or not mugshot, but you know what I mean. Yeah, very, very like government, uh, government ID kind of photo, the thing you'd get for your uh, your passport or something like that. I lo- I love this introduction mainly because it is. Uh, it does a couple of things. Like it really shows you what Masato is. She is either extremely reckless or extremely brave or both. As or she disorganized. Right well, yeah, uh, she's late to getting to pick up Shinji. So okay, I got to drive up to the giant <laughs> monster attacking. You know, I got to do what I got to <laughs> do here. But yeah, and but Shinji is very silent through all this. Like he talks, but like he's like. You're not sure in the beginning if if he's kind of overwhelmed by, like, bowled over by her activity, or if that's just kind of naturally who he is. Mm-hmm. I think that we get a couple of glimpses along the way of Shinji's character. Um, like, one of the things that uh, 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 I noticed is that, like, there, Shinji is there because he has gotten a letter from his father uh, saying, you know, I need you to come, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the letter is taped back together he like shinji had very deliberately tore he tore that letter up uh he had scribbled all over it blacked it out uh and the only words on it are like are basically shinji come here Mm -hmm. uh shinji is treated very utilitarian he's treated uh very much like a tool and misada to a degree like tries to reach out to him i think but it's it's she definitely is coming at it from a point of view of a uh you know she is a i don't know if she ever says what her rank is but something military somebody calls her captain at one point yeah that might just be a translation Um, yeah it could be a generic thing too Um, yeah that's true um but yeah like she approaches that as that as that particular aspect of things and uh, but she does reach out to him and she does like try to connect with him uh, 
I think it is in her nature. And I think we see that uh, as mm-hmm. she's driving Shinji back because Shinji is very quiet, clearly doesn't want to talk, and Misato absolutely does. I'm not necessarily sure that that's out of a desire to connect as it is just she is, that's who she is. She mm-hmm. is a much more extroverted. She talks through her feelings and her thoughts, uh, mm-hmm. whereas Shinji internalizes all of his. Um, you can see with the, just the picture that she gives him, she is very external. And that picture, so that picture is something that really interests me. Um, because why would you give a 14 year old child a picture of yourself yeah. in a skimpy bikini as your first introduction? Uh, when you're a military personnel. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I don't think that there's a good answer for it, but you know, was it an attempt to be more relational with Shinji? Was it just thoughtlessness on her part? And you know, oh, this is the only picture I have lying around to send him. Mm. Um, <laughs> did, well, did she even choose that picture or did his father? include it and if so was that intentional on his part or was it the only picture he had knowing him it was intentional that's not something that occurred to me until just now no totally i you you've got a point i i I think there's a couple of different ways you can look at it like like i think maybe even some you know like you know it's clearly inappropriate this is a grown-ass woman sending a you know pen a picture to a 14 year old um but i think also Maybe it was it was Misato's choice to do that because she has worked with uh, Gendo, uh, Shinji's mm-hmm. father, and she knows he's a dick. Um, to put it put a fine point on it, that's it's true. Yeah, and so but it could be in the like you know in the sense of like I, I guess you could read it two ways. Like, is she doing that because? Um, like she wants to give, she wants to put a smile on his face and like you know, like yeah, no, this sucks, but come on. Or is it more calculated, like you said? Like, is mm-hmm. it like this is what will get him here? Um, like again, this very utilitarian kind of focus on, like, is that the thing that gets him? And it's kind of interesting, especially considering where the later episodes go with regard to Shinji and uh, uh, his like the. Uh, the dealings of Shinji's sexuality and all that kind of stuff. But this sets the tone very early on about, you know, what, what situation he's heading into. So let's talk about Gendo because, uh, and to some degree, Ritsuko, um, Ritsuko, something like that. Um, they are, at least in my view, they're very much kind of peas in a pod, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of how they approach the mission, uh, you know, capital T, capital M, Basically, uh, like, I mean, again, we'll, we'll find out more about this later, but like, yeah, they are very much of one mind. Um, mm-hmm. They want Nerve to, like, they see Nerve as the only line of defense against these angels. And they are very, like, again, they basically strip out everything else. Mm-hmm. Um Gendo is very, very uh, judgmental of uh, there's early on, there's a scene with him talking to other military commanders or whatnot, but he's very clearly has contempt for them. Um, He's like, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, the Evangelion project is the only thing that can like really save this. And that translates to his son. Like that translates to, uh, to how Gendo treats his son. 
you know, he hasn't seen his son in, I forget what it was, you know, 10 years or something like that. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, a, a long period of time uh, to the point where, like, they really don't know what to expect. But Shinji sh- uh, clearly has bad memories. There's flashes of him being abandoned two by years. his father. Two years. Wow, okay. I, I think two Well, 10 years, he would have been four. Yeah, I guess that's valid. Some Maybe number of confused years. with Second Impact or something like that. But yeah, like, the first thing that, um, the first reference that uh, Gendo ever makes to his son, uh, to uh, his second-in-command, is, yeah, the spare pilot. He doesn't say my son, he doesn't say any, he doesn't say Shinji, he doesn't do anything like that. Like, Shinji is a tool, he is uh, fodder, he's grist for the mill. Uh, and we need him to do this. And it's not even the new pilot or another pilot, it's the spare pilot. Yeah. Which instantly shows regardless of what he thinks about his son's uh, ability to pilot the Eva, which clearly he as you as you the episodes progress, you see that he knew that Shinji was going to be a good match. Mm. Um more so than Ray. It took Ray much longer to sink with the Eva, but he doesn't mm. make any indication of that. He still refers to him as the backup pilot. Yeah. I mean, he keeps his cards very close to his chest about what he knows about uh, the Evangelion project and why his son is suited for it. Um, He clearly has some knowledge about it, and he's like, okay, we just need to do this. Like, you're the only one that can do this, and I know this. But less encouraging than that. Totally, totally. He's (laughs) he's not, he does not give a shit. He does not believe in positive reinforcement, uh, so to speak. Uh, There is a scene when they're standing in front of uh, Eva Unit 01, where Gendo just just dresses him down because Shinji's having doubts. Two like yesterday, Shinji didn't know any of this shit existed. Like he didn't know angels existed. He didn't know that there was a, a giant mech awaiting for him and that he had to fight. And Gendo is utterly unsympathetic to him. He's like, no, you need to do this. And there's the scene that where he's like dressing him down and like uh, Ritsuko, Misato, and like all the techs who are like doing like uh, maintenance work on the hangar and on the Evangelion unit, like they just they're kind of watching dumbstruck. Like what what the hell? And, and Gendo is standing like a floor above them, looking yeah. down. Um, you know, framed by light behind him, so it's very dramatic, and he is clearly being put in a position of absolute authority over this project from on high and there's he's also just imposing this kind of will on shinji he's like Mm -hmm. you're going to do this um there is an undercurrent to episodes that we're going to get into later um where like shinji does what he's told like because that's what he's internalized as the way to interact within you know the adult world Mm -hmm. uh you know he does what his father wants he does things for his father he does not think of his own well-being, really. Um, there, there's a great scene um, uh, as they're going down the elevator uh, uh, into the Evi unit where Misato and uh, Ritsuko are literally talking over his head about what's going on and what he's going to do. And he just... He, I think he's absorbed in the uh, the like the nerve rule book at the time, but like he, he clearly doesn't care. He, he clearly sees... Uh, adults as these people who are going to control him and it's it's a very kind of Shinji has almost dehumanized himself in a way mm, like mm-hmm. he sees himself as a tool or as like 
uh, an ornament. Uh, it's probably a little too uh, dramatic, but it is that kind of thing where he is like he knows his role or he knows what he perceives his role to be and he's going to act it. Did you have any other thoughts with regard to like any of the other characters? I know uh, Ritsuko, we're kind of giving her a little short shrift, but uh, I, I, I kind of see her as very much an extension of Gendo. Well, we don't see a lot of her in this early episode either. Um, mm-hmm. So her development happens a little bit later, I think. Um, mm-hmm. We do get a glimpse of her, but I think that you pretty much nailed down where, you know, she's definitely seen as almost a mother figure to Masato, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, Masato shows up late. He's like, did you get lost again? Yeah. And, you know, she's definitely of the pair, the more responsible, if not mother, than older sister. Mm-hmm. That kind of relationship where she's the mature, responsible one. And Masato is the scatterbrained, uh, running late, disorganized, gives a mm. pinup picture to Shinji sort of person. Yeah. I mean, she's kind of uh, responsible because she has to be. Um, right. Like, it, there's no, like, she's, uh, Misato is kind of like nominally in charge of the military aspects of things, like below Gendo, but Ritsuko actually has like the leadership abilities to enact that. Yeah, and she doesn't get all the details of what's going on. She is on a need-to-know basis. Yeah. Uh, and she's just as surprised by some of the developments as Shinji is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's some definitely, again, a lot of Evangelion is about secrets, who holds them, and who knows what at what times. Yeah, it, this is what it, it drew me into, like, the plot things, like, you know, the unraveling of, the, you know, the peeling back of the onion of the, like, the various plot things, so on and so forth. Uh but yeah, like the, again, uh, the character moments in this first episode are, are kind of fantastic. Um, anything else before we go on to the next episode? Or I think we should go on to the next episode. Let's go on to the next episode. Okay, so episode two, uh, the beast slash unfamiliar ceilings. So yeah, this is kind of the, uh, it's kind of a weird fake out in the beginning. Um, like the, uh, the, fir- uh, the last episode ends with like, we're about ready to fight and there's a little bit of fighting in the beginning, but then it just smash cuts to uh, Shinji in a bed and he just doesn't know where he is. And it's very much dealing with the aftermath of that attack. Like Mm -hmm. we do get to the attack later on, but I thought it was really kind of cool with like, it's kind of, it's kind of like it's the fake out is like, uh, you're expecting this. Like, this is the moment where, like, the pilot, the pilot triumphantly gets into his mecha and starts fighting, and you don't see that. You well, not only back. do... Yeah, not only do you not see that, but you see Shinji fail. Yeah. And it looks like... And for me, I didn't remember exactly how this went. I've had vague memories of Shinji beating the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when this happens, I'm like, oh, well, maybe he tries again because clearly he got injured and he failed. And mm-hmm. so this is the first attempt that he fails at it. Okay. Even so- his first attempt at walking, like his first task is to move forward and he can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I think understandably. <laughs> oh yeah, he's certainly he's certainly like new to this whole thing, certainly. But uh, but so yeah, definitely. And just as a side note, um, 
before we get going on that, I didn't realize that Netflix had retitled these episodes, which is bizarre to me because there's a episode card in each of the episodes. So Netflix gave them different titles on its own interface. Hmm. Was it actually Netflix? I thought maybe they had, I thought it was at some point previous, but I I, I wouldn't put it. Okay. Well, somebody did. Yeah, yeah, but totally. But if you actually watch the episode, it still has the original episode name there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I put both episode names there, because we get, we see both of them. Uh, yeah. A little, little bit of a bizarre choice, I think. It's a little bit strange, but I'm, I mean, clearly they're trying to... Well, we're going to have to find out before the next episode, like, you know, when these came in, but... They're very different tonally as well. Like the beast and unfamiliar ceilings for this one. Yeah, those are two very different focuses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is like, I mean, I think it kind of works in this episode because there is the dissonance between, like, again, this not peaceful, but this more um, uh, uh, reserved moments after the battle mm-hmm. as compared to the battle later on. Right. Um, and like, I think that tension works really well uh in this yeah one thing with regard to the just just before we get to um some of some other stuff but like that the initial battle scene is like you can you can absolutely see shinji's like uh mental strife in this and like some of the symbolism is not subtle um in a lot of ways the um you know there's the he needs to move forward but he can't uh or he falls (laughs) Uh, when the angel actually like just basically grabs him and like is toying with him, they have like a little like pile driver thing on it, uh, its arm. And it just pounds directly into Shinji's head. Like you're literally pounding at his psyche, Mm -hmm. uh, like to scare him, to instill fear in him and all that kind of stuff. Uh, again, not subtle, not subtle, uh, uh, gain X here. So, but yeah, let's talk about that, uh, that opening scene. Where he wakes up, he's in a hospital bed, it's very white, it's very still, we hear the cicadas buzzing loudly again, Mm -hmm. Um, unnaturally loudly, uh, for being inside a building, inside a hospital. Um, There's no one else around. Like, where are all the people? Where are the nurses, the doctors? Uh, Where's the beeping machinery? It's kind of strange. Um, it's again very isolating. Yes, and it it reminds me of the beginning of the first episode. It's yeah. kind of a repeat of that, um, except this time instead of it being the city of Tokyo, whatever. Um, is it Tokyo three? Tokyo, Tokyo five? Three, yeah. Tokyo three. Um, it's now just Shinji. Yeah. In a hospital room. Yeah, and you don't even know if he's still in the city or anything like that. Like, right. You know. Like, it's almost like there's some of it that is very, uh, maybe they were going for this, but it's almost heavenly imagery. Like, mm. very white, very clean, um, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Of course, that's broken a little bit when, uh, at some point, doctors rush down the hall with Ray and a gurney. Um, right. Yeah, there are the people. <laughs> yeah, they do show up, certainly. But it's also not this place of mental peace, because uh, this time when Ray goes by, like, she's just staring at Shinji. Yeah, like, she is a mess. Oh yeah, she is fucked up. Um, in a lot of ways, unfortunately, even more so than the first one. Uh, yeah, and that just serves to remind Shinji, like this is not a restful place for you. This is what's going to happen to you if you keep yeah. fighting 
in the EVA unit. You will have no peace. <laughs> God, that's depressing. But Poor kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's really being thrown into things that he doesn't want to do and um, has to deal with that. There's a there's a great moment that that just kind of reinforces that where uh, Misato comes to get him and they go to the elevator uh, to get out and uh, the door opens and Gendo is just standing there and he doesn't say a fucking word. He just stares down at Shinji like this disapproving glare. He doesn't say anything. Shinji doesn't say anything. And the doors close. And that what is he just, even doing there? I, I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe he's there to check on Ray. Wouldn't that be the ultimate like twist of the knife? He does not care about his son. Like, mm-hmm. it, and to some degree, there's a kind of... Uh, I don't know. Th- that was just heart-wrenching to me. Like, like the kid needs a fucking hug. Like, the kids need to be told that he did good. Um, yeah. But that's just not there. Yeah, at least not from his father. No. Uh, Misato definitely helps along, though. Yeah, although at this point, she is still thinking of Shinji in terms of his utility. Uh, and it's interesting, because she mentions that. I don't remember if it's in this episode or the next episode where she talks about that. I mean, it's kind of a common theme. I, I, she does kind of talk about it. But I think here you begin to see some of the cracks in that facade for Misato. Um, there's a conversation she has with Ritsuko where he doesn't have it in his heart to do this. And Misato, uh, excuse me. And Ritsuko is just like, well, what about his brain? Like, we just mm. need that. And, and like, I, you begin to see a little bit of that. And I think you, you actually see a lot of it when, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily uncharacteristic, but when Misato sort of says like, okay, Shinji's living with me now. <laughs> like, um, it, I mean, it's very much like spur of the moment kind of decision because she clearly hasn't prepared for this, right? But she does it. I yeah. Mean, well, I feel like what... she does that a lot. I think that spur of the moment is kind of her mo. Oh, absolutely. Especially once you see the inside of her apartment. I think, uh, yeah, it's it's you know a mess and a half, all that kind of stuff. But the, uh, but again, like there's also that moment where she's like. Yeah, like Shinji's like, yeah, I'm fine with living alone. I'll go, I'll go to the barracks. And and uh, Ritsuko, uh, excuse me, Ritsuko, Misato is just straight up like, nope, you're coming with me. And she takes him back home to, what the fuck is going on in that house at that point? Get a penguin in the cooler. Pen and pen more is the beer cans thing. than open space. She's entirely prepackaged food. She's got snacks, packaged food, and beer. Like, you know... Clearly, like, she does not give a damn about her own, like, uh, upkeep or anything like that. And, like, this is that moment, like, you know, this whole sequence at at, at uh, Misato's place is very much like a, this is kind of the breath of air. Like, this is kind of the comedy interlude. Like, there's mm-hmm, a fucking mm-hmm. penguin there. Like, I mean. A hot springs penguin. A hot springs penguin, correct. Like, <laughs> who lives in the uh, the other fridge that Misato has. It is very kind of bizarre. Well, what did you think of this? Like, did you think it was like a, a nice little touch or out of character or what? Um. Well, I think it was much needed comic relief, uh, just in terms of the rhythm of the show. You yeah. Know, viewers needed a break from all the seriousness, especially this early on in the show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Pen Pen is just completely ridiculous. There's no getting around that. Yeah, um, he's a he, mascot. He is a comedy relief mascot, exactly. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, again, it showed this just stark contrast between the very regimented military and Ritsuko and Gendo and the Evas going from that to her apartment, which is just a slovenly mess. Yeah. Um, where she clearly, it feels like she can let down her hair and be as relaxed as she wants to be too relaxed in the case of, uh, Shinji a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that might be a mask. In fact, mm-hmm. at one point she does say to herself, did I lay on the happiness or the friendliness too thick? Um, yeah. And I think that, so some of that is calculated for Shinji's behalf. Uh, but some of it, I mean, she has clearly been living like this for a while. So this is not new mm. behavior for her. Oh, absolutely. So it's a interesting window into her life outside of the military, um, yeah. which is there's not a lot going on. She is drinking herself into oblivion. I mean, she's living her best life. I mean, uh, I, would um, you would you say best Oh, well, it's the kind of life I'd want. Um, maybe that's <laughs> the distinction there. But uh, it's it, the thing that struck me about his is very human. It's very, like, yeah. you know, away from all the regimentedness of that military compound and the hospital and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, Misato is a 360 degrees person here. This is where she can be that. 180. 360 is back where you started. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There was there's another thing I noticed though about Misato here that was that actually kind of uh, jumped out at me. Um, you know, part of it was just straight up like you know, okay, she's at home and like you know, she's not going to be in her military uniform and, and anything like that. But the camera is clearly trying to sexualize Misato in a way, mm-hmm. um, and you know, to some degree that's fan servicey. Like you know, you have a a a beautiful woman. The like it, you saw this a little bit in the car as well. Like there are moments where. Uh, there would be a camera shot um, from Misato's crotch um, mm-hmm. or, you know, her bending over something or something like that. Like Shinji doesn't care. Like, you know, the, the usual kind of thing to this is that, you know, a young horny boy would be kind of all over, like, you know, sneaking a glimpse or something like that. And he just doesn't seem to care. Mm-hmm. Like the camera seems to care more about her sexualization than, than Shinji does. Um, and again, I'm not sure if that's fan service or not, but, it's very much like, I don't know, is she being shown here as an example of uh, femininity? Or, you know, what was her role here? And, like, I, I don't really have a, a, an excellent read on it yet. But there's hmm. definitely, there's a moment where, uh, like, they're sitting across the table from each other. And uh, Misato is lecturing Shinji on how to be a man. Um, yeah, you're a boy, show some <laughs> backbone and confidence, I think is the line. And, like, it's very clearly setting up, I am a woman, you need to be this ideal of a man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it, almost in a very kind of traditional kind of way. And Shinji is kind of just overwhelmed by all of this stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to take it. I think that, so far, everything we've seen has been dysfunctional. 
Mm. Um, and I don't think this is an exception to that. I think that this is a dysfunctional life that she's living, um, a dysfunctional relationship that she has with Shinji. Mm-hmm. Um, and dysfunction, he has his own trauma that he's dealing with. I don't think that it's supposed to be some sort of example of what they think should be perceived as femininity or masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that her attitudes towards life are clearly dysfunctional. I mean, she is serving her guest instant ramen out of a box. Yeah. And, uh, does she even, I think she even offers a beer. Does she? Um, she might, yeah. Uh, which, I mean, I don't remember what the legal drinking age in Japan is. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I don't think it's pretty 14. sure it's not 14. <laughs> um, but clearly irresponsible. Yeah. I think that there's definitely a lot being shown in this scene about who she is. And I think that there's the fan service. I mean, they even acknowledge that. Did you watch the previews at the end of the episodes? No, I've been skipping those. Don't skip them, Mike. That's an important part of this rewatch. <laughs> all right. Be- I'll, I'll, I'll so them. the first three episodes all end with Masato mentioning fan service, saying, and next episode, we've got more fan service for you. Oh, jeez. So... It, so they clearly know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Like, it is intentional. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe I am reading a little bit too much into it. But, yeah, again, I'm looking for these things now, um, especially sure. with some other stuff. We'll get there with other examples of men and women, uh, even in the next couple episodes. I guess the only other thing uh, that jumped out to me to this this episode was, again, the um, when we flash back to the actual fight um, mm-hmm. at the end of the episode. It's this moment where, like, the Evan, the uh, Eva unit is, I backed into a corner uh, mm-hmm. or like straight up against a building. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's like, "Oh God, you know, you know, all is lost, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And the Eva unit just jumps out and tears at the angel and rips it apart. Um, yeah. There's well, no it elegance. Is not even that. It's out of power. Yeah, it's out of power. It's and been it's disconnected on, from like, its power so- source. It's not even operating a backup power. It's dead. Yeah. Yet there's some inner well here. And, like, again, no elegance to this attack. It just goes in, like, a huge expenditure of energy. You know, far and above what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, you call it the, you know, this episode is called The Beast. Like, it is just bestial. It is just, it is like, brutal. shocking in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I, this was the thing that kind of like struck me that like, it, it sets a tone certainly where it's like, you know, okay, this is not going to be like Gundam wing. This is not going to be a thing where like, you know, but the majesty of fighting, this is going to be a slug fest mm-hmm. like, and it is going to be very raw and kind of stunned me uh, when I saw, like when I saw it when I was younger, I was just like, man, that was fucking cool. <laughs> it was so cool. It's still it was, cool. It still is, totally. It is so badass. But, like, at the same time, there is a desperation to that attack that, like, knowing what we know about Shinji, like, like what happens when a kid is bullied into a corner? They they lash out. And mm-hmm. this really reminded me of, like, uh, a kid pushed to his breaking point going all in. Yeah, it just kind of shocked me. Um, what uh, What did you think about it? Well, what I noticed about it was... I don't I don't know if there's a lot more than what you've said already. It was brutal. It was just um 
a slaughter. And it is, it's very shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is the moment where, again, it still gives you this moment of, okay, Shinji's failed. I don't know how they get him back down there, but clearly this didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this thing gets back up. And as far as we know, this is an entirely mechanical thing. There's no possible way that it could get mm-hmm. up with no power. And yet it does, and not just stumbles, but it is it is fierce. It goes for the jugular. It stabs the thing in the eye or whatever that is that it stabs. Mm-hmm. There's blood, there's gore. There's nothing elegant or heroic about no. it. It's just, you know, it's, it's like you said, raw. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, and I think the corollary to that is then like, because we get it at the episode, we then see what Shinji's been dealing with and he realizes that he did this. Yeah. The, wow. the episode, the episode ends, if I am not mistaken, with him screaming as he yeah. remembers all of this happening. Um, and, there's this moment in the fight uh, where the beast is tearing at the Eva's arm and mm. within the mech suit, Shinji is tearing at his own arm, um, even though they're telling him it's not real, Shinji, your arm is not actually being injured. Uh, but there's this unity between him and the Eva mm. that is clearly part of piloting the robot as it's colloquially termed um, for all the memes. Uh, (laughs) um, But in order for him to pilot this, he has to synchronize with it and basically become one with it. And that was a really interesting thing to think about, like what that looks like in terms of, you know, what does it mean to pilot the Eva, it means to lose yourself. Yeah. Uh, so what is the show trying to say about the ego and individuality and will? Yeah, this this kind of unification, or uh, what do they call on the show? Synchronization. Mm-hmm. Like, is, is really, it's not like you are in sync. It's you are, you'll become this. You really are this monster. And I think that's what Shinji is terrified of. Like, mm-hmm. like he became this thing. Who was I in this? I wonder if on some level that might be an attractive thing for Shinji. Like he is, he so outwardly has so little self. He does whatever everyone else tells him to do is going into the Eva, uh, the Eva unit, something that he might want to do eventually. Like maybe not necessarily kill and rip apart something to shreds, but like that concept of self annihilation is something that I think Shinji sees as attractive and this is a way to do that i don't know if i'd say that he sees it as attractive but it's certainly something that he understands um especially going back Mm. to the way that he relates to adults that he does what he's told he doesn't like that he doesn't have a say in it uh and he definitely lashes out and tries to protest but in the end he gives in um, and I think that perhaps piloting the Eva is a similar thing where uh, he's used to being in a state where he has no will of his own. So it is yeah. not quite comfortable. Clearly, it's not mm-hmm. because he has nightmares about it, but it's something that makes sense in his world. I, I like that read a lot, actually, um, better than my own. 
Like it is literally a bigger person that uh, Shinji is along for the ride with. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it is a parallel to that whole, like, you know, just how adults are doing that. And again, he doesn't like it, but he is comfortable with it. It is what he is used to, to some degree. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I never thought of it that way, but it is kind of, it's kind of exactly that. I wonder if that's why, you know, part of the reason why he syncs really well with an Evangelion. Like, Maybe. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we uh, move on here? We are taking our sweet time. Yeah, let's go to the next episode. Um, so this one is called The Transfer. Uh, what was the other subtitle for this? The Silent Phone. or uh, Oh, yeah. I don't know where that went like that. in the notes. But yes, it's, it's The fine. Silent Phone. I, I remember when I first watched it, it was called The Phone That Never Rings. Um, oh. And in the in the actually in the early episode, uh, uh, early parts of the episode, a phone actually rings, and it kind of threw me for a loop <laughs> back then. But uh, that wasn't the phone that never rings. No, that's the other phone that does ring. The other phone that does ring. There's a multi phone <laughs> world. Uh, so yeah, this is kind of like dealing with the aftermath uh, of that to some degree of the uh, uh, Shinji's realization of what he did uh, in the previous episode. Yeah, there's. It starts off with kind of him, you know at, at uh, nerve headquarters and all that kind of stuff. And one thing that I notice is that he, he's doing a kind of coping mechanism here. Um, he's uh, like put into like a, uh, I don't know if it's VR or something like that, but like he's in the Evangelion. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, like shooting angels as they show up or something like that. And he's just constantly repeating, you know, target in the center, pull the trigger, target in the center, pull the trigger. And it's very, very, it's almost like a mantra. Like, it's almost like this. He needs to, he needs something very simple to focus on. Uh, so he doesn't have to think about the, like, the shit that he's gone through. Mm-hmm. And that really jumped out to me as this, like, real clear, like, yeah, this is depression. This is avoidance. Like, he is, he doesn't have the ability to actually process this. And it's just, man. It, it was kind of heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Yes. <laughs> I don't really have anything to say about that one. I um, I saw it as, I mean, he is numb. This has mm. just been an overload for him. Uh, and I, I mean, it would be for anybody. Uh, this mm. is his first exposure to any of this. His first, probably his first close encounter with the angels he's just been thrown into piloting something that he didn't even know existed until a day ago or so or Mm -hmm. however many days it's been yeah he is he's just done (laughs) yeah he is operating on autopilot at this point yeah it is like yeah he, he he is he is in shock to a large degree um but again his particular way of coping with it is like it's not too it's not too like find something to distract himself with almost dare I say a Masato course of action mm-hmm. uh, he his action is to just do something something he can focus on something he can carry through right. and that's just kind of bizarre and Masato of course is like no help during this time period she's like you know barely getting out of bed because uh, she's uh, not because she's depressed because she's she likes sleeping, which, you know, I can sympathize with. <laughs> but, like, like even Shinji is left to do a lot of other stuff alone. There's a, there's a shot in the show where she tells him to take out the garbage. And 
he goes and he takes out the garbage and he puts it in the little like alcove where the garbage is. And it is a huge wide shot of just him dropping off one bag of garbage. There's nothing else there. There's no one else there. It is white. It is empty. And there's just a little Shinji right there. Again, really like he is so incredibly isolated and mm-hmm. like so incredibly in his own head. It's very heartbreaking. And, and um, like the show uses a lot of these wide angles. They've been using them a little bit uh, in the previous episodes, but they really want to show just how like Shinji is just a person alone. Mm-hmm. So we shall we school. talk about the, uh, the hedgehog's dilemma right now then? Yeah. Uh, the Hedgehog's Dilemma. What is The Hedgehog's Dilemma? Uh, well, so even though the next episode is the one that's actually titled The Hedgehog's Dilemma, this mm-hmm. episode is the first one that we are introduced to the concept um, in a conversation with Masatu and Ritsuko. Ritsuko? Yeah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> one of those names. Um, where Ritsuko tells her, have you ever heard of The Hedgehog's Dilemma? And Misato says she hasn't. And um, the idea being that the hedgehog uh, wants to get closer, but mm-hmm. the closer that he gets to the other hedgehogs, the more he injures them with his spines. So he decides to just back away. And actually, I've got the quote here. It says, her, she tells her, even though a hedgehog may want to become close with another hedgehog, the closer they get, the more they injure each other with their spines. Um, so the implication, of course, is that Shinji is a hedgehog. Yeah. Um, but the more I watched this, now on this watch through, I begin to realize they're all, they all yeah. fall into this category. They are all Absolutely. afraid of closeness, um, uh, or incapable of closeness. Uh, they all injure each other one after yeah. another. Um, and this episode in particular is the beginning of seeing that this applies to not just Shinji, but also to Masato. Yeah. And she doesn't realize that. Um, I'm sure that Ritsuko realizes it to a certain extent when she tells her this story. She is yeah. very perceptive. Yeah. I mean, yeah, her cheer, you know, Masato's cheerfulness can be very grating for an introvert like Shinji. So yes. her spines are kind of there. Yes. Um, but it's interesting to me that they would pair up the two people who are afraid of closeness, um, mm. but clearly want closeness with other people. Um, and I think about, was that intentional too? Was it necessary for this human instrumentality project, whatever it is, mm-hmm. to have... Misato and Shinji both learn things from each other. When you say like sticking them together, you're talking about the writers or are you talking about Nerve? Nerve. Um, they didn't know that she would volunteer to have him stay in her apartment, but I'm mm. sure that they knew based on her attitudes. I mean, clearly, you know, Ritsuko, the scientist, mm-hmm. has an understanding of human psychology. And none of this seems to surprise her. She doesn't say, are you sure when Misato volunteers to have Shinji stay with her? Yeah. Uh, Her attitude seems to be one of, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. But she seems to be having second thoughts if she's trying to tell Misato, like, hey, you're actually hurting him with your spines, kind of. 
I don't know that I would say that she's trying to warn her off. I think she's just trying to educate Misato on things that she is clearly not understanding. Uh, in a mm. lot of ways, she is just as much a child as Shinji is, even though they've got a good 20 or more or 10 or more years between them. Like, she just doesn't understand why he's acting the way he does. And those mm. of us on the outside can see exactly what's going on. Um, you know, he's traumatized. He has a bad relationship with his father. Something happened there in the past. He is in shock. I don't know why this is so hard for her to understand why he's acting the way he is, but mm -hmm. she is baffled. I think, I think Misato kind of, she has her way of dealing with her problems or her, uh, her issues. And she doesn't understand why other people don't adopt that point of view or mm -hmm. adopt that, those particular actions. Like, you know, uh, granted, like, you know, it could be as simple as like, yeah, she drinks. Like, you know, you know, which is kind of a classic sign of uh, depression, but she d uses that in a way to uh, to cope with that kind of stuff. Whereas Shinji, like, I can't see him as a drinker. Like, like he wouldn't no. be that kind of thing. Misato has a particular approach to her problems. And I think, yeah, I think you're right that Ritsuko is trying to not only warn her off, but saying like, yo, like, what works for you actually hurts him. So beware of that. Mm-hmm. I also like the idea that, like, yeah, Shinji and Misato are both children in their own ways. Like, yeah. You know, Shinji, is his growth has kind of been stunted by abandonment, depression, and stuff like that. He really hasn't matured a lot. I mean, he's 14, but, like... He's, he's 14. Get, get he the 14, kid some break. But, yeah, but even so. And, and Misato is, again, just kind of mentally a child looking for that hedonistic, uh, fun thing. I mean, she owns a penguin. Like every kid growing up wants to have a penguin at some point. Makes a lot of sense for those two to be to be to be together at this point. So I I, I want to talk a little bit about um, so Shinji's interaction with his classmates, um, and like feeding off that idea of the hedgehog's dilemma um, and what we've been talking about here. Like, there's the moment where Shinji kind of uh, uh, someone I don't know IMs him or something like that. Saying, like, you know, are you the one that piloted this? Mm -hmm. uh, he's in the class and people are kind of, you know, looking around. And he says, yeah, uh, I was the one that did it. And he's immediately swarmed by people, um, by Girls. classmates. Girls, specifically. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, almost exclusively, I think. I, I don't remember the, the specific scene, but yeah, almost overwhelmingly uh, girls. And Shinji is kind of stunned by this. Like people are paying attention to him, but he, he he very deliberately shies away every single time someone like leans in to say something. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to be touched. He doesn't mm -hmm. want his space violated, and it's very awkward for him. Even though he is, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, that's so cool! You're you know, you have a robot. You have all like blah blah blah." Shinji's spines in this case are very very obvious. Mm -hmm. Like he wants to keep people at bay by like withdrawing within himself and he wants to the thing that confuses me about it though is why he did why did he admit to it why did he say that he uh, piloted it did he not expect this kind of reaction was he trying to brag or something like that but that seems kind of out of character for him i just don't 
it doesn't seem to me like it's in his nature to lie blatantly because he was asked a direct mm-hmm. yes no question. They did not give him an option. Yeah, the com- the computer yes, message no. that he got over their class electronics were, "Is it true that you're the pilot?" Yes, no. Yeah. Uh, he is very honest. That's true. So I don't think he thought beyond. I've been asked a question. I'm going to answer it. There could be more to it than that, but I think he wants to reach outside of himself a little bit. Maybe, maybe that was part of it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but uh, he certainly gets that. And then he gets uh, uh, Toji comes over and uh, later on after school beats the shit out of him. Um, yep. Which, yeah, it's it, it. I mean, it's kind of understandable. Toji is like Toji is this like paragon of testosterone like he is Mm -hmm. a manly ass man uh and he's (laughs) he externalizes what he wants to do with violence uh in a lot of ways um he's a rough and tumble kind of guy maybe i'm 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 not trying to make excuses for him but like that is what he sees his role as being a very kind of man's man kind of thing and shinji for his part like he doesn't even fight back he's just kind of passive again well, he is just filled with shame, especially so all that Toji knows about him is he piloted the robot. The robot failed to not only failed to save his younger sister, but killed his younger sister. His younger sister was crushed in this attack. Yeah, she wasn't killed. She was injured. She was in the hospital. Oh, she's in the hospital. Okay. Yeah. Um, but still. She yeah, was I, injured. I, I... This robot is supposed to be saving our city, and instead it is causing a massive amount of destruction. Yeah. Um, he doesn't know Shinji. Shinji doesn't try to defend himself. Shinji is filled with shame and regret and fear, and he thinks the worst of himself. He thinks that he is the worst being imaginable mm-hmm. um, because of his cowardice and his weak will. And his lack of lovability. This this is what he thinks of himself, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, again, just serves to reconfirm his his attitude through all this. Yeah, he, he accepts the uh, the punches because he believes that he deserves They're deserved. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's fucking heartbreaking for me uh, in a lot of ways. You keep saying um, that. It, it, but it is. It's definitely. I mean... Shinji's character is really a sad, sad character. And it's funny because I remember how much we complained back Mm. in the day about Shinji. Just why will you not stop whining? Just get in the robot and do your job, Shinji. Shinji. Yeah, I'm sure that I had some sympathy for him. But also, he was just intolerable how much he whined. And now I don't have, I have nothing but respect and sadness for him because he is put in a terrible situation um mm-hmm. that he is given no way out of he is reacting like a 14 year old would like in a depressed 14 year old i think specifically like yeah just because we don't like watching that and because like this is a giant robot show like we want to uh, we want to see the giant robots doing great things and but he's not li- he's not living up to that he he feels the weight of it i think more than any other character up to that point, I think in a giant robot show, I don't know. I, it's all he can do. 
he's handling it in the best way he knows how, which is kind of really sad to say, but yeah, that that's yeah. really what's going on. And well, so that's a good point that up until this point, I mean, in terms of quote unquote giant robot shows, what did we have? We had Voltron, Gundam. Um, yeah. Is there, was there really anything else in America at that point? Uh, not in America. I mean, there was certainly other stuff in the lineage of, uh, you know, anime at that time. But not um, necessarily anything that we would have been exposed to unless we were really digging. No, totally. Uh, unless we were like an expert in the in the field, more or less. Yeah. And so at this point, all our exposure had been was people get in robots. They do awesome things. They yeah. do brave, heroic things to protect the innocent and save lives and this is the exact opposite of that he is not saving lives um in fact putting them on the line he's not doing brave things he is cowering passively going on along with what he's told Mm. and there there is no triumph here there is one really brutal scene and that's it. This is actually all kind of brought to a head by the end of the episode as well. When, you know, again, there's another angel attack and um, I don't, looks like a giant weird jellyfish fungus. I'm not sure what it was. Um, <laughs> uh, some of these angels get very little characterization. Uh, but basically, uh, you know, Shinji's called up to fight the thing and he goes and he fights the thing. But uh, Toji and Kensuke uh, both go out, they sneak out of the shelter to go see, like they want to see the, the, you know, the angel, the robot, all that kind of stuff. Shinji is knocked into the side of a mountain where they're, where they're hiding out and they're exposed. And he looks over, he sees them and he's terrified. And then he gets the order, bring them inside, uh, bring them into uh, the dummy plug. Uh, excuse me, not the dummy plug, the, uh, uh, the entry plug. Like Shinji kind of resists it, but yeah, they come in. This is, this is a moment that like, it's a weird kind of perversion of like, uh, like the, like usually in these stories, you have someone who makes a connection with someone and is able to see them. These guys see Shinji fighting this angel, terrified, screaming, crying. They're seeing kind of his true self here. Mm -hmm. And like they see Shinji at his most vulnerable. But he's known these guys for all of a day or two. Right. And at like he is stretched, stressed. He's already feeling horrible about himself. And then like this is almost these are almost interlopers. Like he is fully bare here. The fact that like people see him like that. Like even even the people at Nerve don't really see this. Like they they monitor his vitals and stuff like that. But Shinji is afraid and like these two do see it and it's it's this really shocking moment where shinji is very defensive he is that hedgehog he keeps people away but they got in by necessity and Mm. like with the reaction of those two kids like they're kind of like oh adventure and stuff like that like well not specifically they're kind of frightened what do you think like their take was on it and what shinji was feeling at that moment. I think that that was their eye-opening moment to see Shinji for who he was 
mm-hmm. um, to see that their assumptions about Shinji um, and their assumptions about the nature of the war and the nature of the Iwa units, um, mm-hmm. basically it just kind of shifted their whole attitude towards everything. Um, that was the moment that they realized, oh, he did, there's a lot more going on here than we realized. And, and we see it at the, be- at the beginning of the next episode. We see that mm. there's a dramatic shift in their attitude towards him, their attitude towards the war and the EVA units. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, well, let's move on to the next episode then, uh, since we're already kind of halfway into let's... it. Like, yeah, I mean, they are, they're, they're like his friend. I hesitate to call them even friends at this point, but. Uh, Toji and Kensuke, like, yeah, their perception is entirely changed, but Shinji's gone. Shinji fucking jets. And this is a uh, uh, episode title, uh, Hedgehog's Dilemma and Rain After Running Away. Mm-hmm. And at this point, he has run away. After telling himself for three episodes, I mustn't run away, he finally runs away. He does run away. Um, and like I, like I said before, you know, he has been put into this position where he has no choice this Mm. is the only choice he has the only choice he has is to get out of there and it isn't really much of a choice because what does he do once he runs away um as we finally find out for certain in this episode he doesn't have a mother clearly he basically doesn't have a father yeah Uh, misato is a poor substitute for a mother yeah he barely even has any friends he has nothing for him anywhere. And as he repeats, as he tells himself, I need to go home, it's not really clear what he even means by home. Yeah. Um, and I wonder partly if, is that a translation issue? Does he actually say that in the original subtitles? Does he say, I need to go home? Or does he say, I need to go back? I'm not sure. I mean, uh, but, but I think the sentiment's the same. Like uh, he well, wants to go somewhere of safety or somewhere he somewhere away from this yeah so to me it was not clear when he says i need to go home does he mean i need to go back where i was before or i need to go back to misato and nerve you know is that him realizing i can't keep wandering around Mm -hmm. or is it him searching for a way out i wonder if he even knows i'm not entirely sure he does because clearly he's not in any position to go back at that point. He's sitting in a mostly empty movie theater while people sleep drunkenly or make out. Yeah, I mean, I mean the make out thing, Shinji like looks at that like wistfully and he sees it as a like a moment of connection between human two human beings. And I think to some degree he's looking at it as something he wants. Not necessarily mm. like to make out with a girl, but like or make out with anyone, I guess. But connection i think he wants that intimacy and and because it was kind of violated in the last episode in a in the middle of a fight two people he barely knows are led into his innermost sanctum instead of this moment of peace in a movie theater um right where people could just be yeah that's interesting i hadn't thought of that and i don't know that i would read that he has that going on but it's certainly something that the writers want mm. as a subconscious hey there are people connecting he is incapable of connection sort of parallel i mean i think think incapable is a harsh word but yeah i certainly in his current state he's incapable right um i i think to some degree he 
I mean, this is like, you know, getting into some stuff we'll get about Shinji later, but yeah, he doesn't have a mother. Like, he doesn't have a nurturing figure in his life. Again, you know, his father's a dick. Misato is, um, Misato. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah, he's looking for, I think he's almost studying it. Like, 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 what is it about them that they can connect or something like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And probably, you know, the logical extension of that is then why can't I? And again, um, like that, that feeds into some other stuff later where we'll get into um, Shinji feels like an outsider in that, you know, it's a heterosexual couple and, you know, it's a little bit queer coded. Like, you know, is that for me? Is that something I even want? I mean, I'm not queer, unfortunately, but like, you know, although you are very strange. Well, yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't know that experience really, like from the inside out. But mm-hmm. like, I can't, I can only imagine it's like that is a something of a quote unquote normal nature, and he's not allowed into it, mm-hmm. or he doesn't feel he belongs in it. I think the thing that really jumped out at me in this episode is also the um, the interlude in the middle with Kensuke, just by sheer coincidence. Like Shinji gets off the train stop um, where Kensuke is playing war. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's like, you know, you know, tell her I love her, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he's just like, it, it, it's humorous because we kind of need it. Oh, good Lord, we need it. Um, yes, definitely. But but it is definitely a counterpoint to Shinji. Like, he doesn't play. He doesn't like, or we haven't seen him play he's just very like he views this especially war like or or conflict in which he's very intimately familiar with doesn't see it as glorious he doesn't see it as that he sees himself as a tool on that like almost like a piece of artillery and and kensuke's playfulness is very alien to him and kensuke's like i i think in a very like poignant turn he's like yeah these guns won't do anything it's just for fun yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That was the thing I was going to say was Shinji flat up asks him, he's like, oh, are you training for guerrilla war? Yeah. And he says, what good would toys like these do? I'm just having fun. You yeah, know, absolutely. this huge contrast between Shinji, who can't even imagine having a moment of rest and playfulness like that, um, versus his classmate use. who is literally out in the middle of a field by himself after this angel is attacked. It's like, why would you even do that? Yeah. <laughs> this is in the middle of a war zone. Do you think it's over? Yeah, Kensuke is this he's it's weird. I mean he's a weird kid, certainly, but like he's like the most well adjusted person so far we've seen because he's like he knows exactly where he is and he like he can be very human and very caring. Mm-hmm. Like he offers like there's a scene uh when Shinji goes back to the camp where Kinsuke put his jacket around Shinji, lit a fire, and is like feeding him. It is a it is a moment of nurturing and something that Shinji has not had. And I, I'm not sure, but I think it is the first time Shinji speaks in this episode is when he talks to Kensuke. Like two-thirds of the way through. That's He's opening up. A good point. He definitely doesn't talk a lot. Um yeah. and that's one of the things that I noticed about this scene was just how silent it is. Mm. You know, we don't get, but we have to infer a lot of what's going on with Shinji. Um, It is not the first time he speaks because he says, I have to go home. It might be the first time he speaks to somebody. Um, Mm -hmm. But he is wandering. 
Um, a lot of the emotion in this episode is done through lighting and mm. through scenery and sound, but not a lot of dialogue or any of Shinji's internal thought process. There is a lot of like, again, him walking through landscapes and mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the coloration on one of those landscapes is very hot, very, um, like warm colors, mm-hmm. not warm, hot colors, I should say, where like you can feel like oppressive heat, mm-hmm. uh, kind of beating the down on him. Yeah. And again, again, all those droning sounds, like mm-hmm. constant assault on all the senses. Um, uh, and that actually brings us back to one thing that I didn't say from the last episode, mm-hmm. um, which was it occurred to me, cicadas are a sound of summer. Yeah. Uh, and they're used to indicate, hey, it's summer, there's cicadas buzzing. Mm-hmm. And the kids are in school. So when I made that connection, like, wait a minute, why are the kids in school when there are cicadas? Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually like looked that up and apparently missed this dialogue with the weather girl on a TV mm-hmm. at some point saying, we have hot days all year now, but Japan once had four seasons. Mm-hmm. And so it's that the use of cicadas in the episodes is another indication that this is a world that's gone wrong. Yeah. The second impact, which we learn a little bit about in the classroom in the last episode, has... And and the movie. Well, I haven't seen the movie. No, no, no. The movie that Shinji sees is about the second impact. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is it about the second impact? Yeah, yeah. I didn't make that connection. I just thought that it was a just generic sci-fi flick. I I mean, it's been turned into a generic sci-fi flick, but yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I didn't make that connection. So, so yeah. So we see, and that there, there's more of that here, where we're just getting this reinforcement that the world is not as it should be. It's summer yeah. all year round now. We hear a little bit about Second Impact, but we, we don't know much about beyond that. Yeah, it has screwed it up. Like everything is off. Everything is a little bit weird. Like I mean, the city is mostly abandoned. Um, the climate is wrong. The, you know, the bugs are, or the skaters are buzzing constantly. Like, yeah, this is a very world off kilter. Except for at night, because Kensuke comments on that. He says, I like it at night because the skaters aren't buzzing. Huh, I didn't think of it that way. Like, like as Shinji's walking through the, the city in the day, he's almost looking for isolation and peace, but he's not finding it. Mm-hmm. Um. He's looking for, you know, again, the cicadas are buzzing constantly. I, at one point, he just straight up freaks out. Like, he feels the, the buildings kind of closing in on him, and he, mm-hmm. he runs to the country. He doesn't find silence. He doesn't find peace. He finds the absence of conflict until he gets to Kensuke. Mm-hmm. And then everything mm-hmm. drops away. The cicadas drop away. Uh, the concept of war is something that has to be serious. It is a moment of peace. And it is one of those things that... There's little treasured moments that, like, I, I hope to God that Shinji holds on to. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as we get to the end of the episode, like, when, you know, they find Shinji, they blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to leave. And they take him to the train station. There's a moment right before the, the final scene, which I know, like, I want to talk about. But when Toji and Kensuke come up to him and they're seeing him off, there is this notion of, like, trying to think of what he's like uh, Toji is trying to find a way to apologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, hit me back. 
And yeah. I'm like, and, again, and again, the only way to solve conflict is violence. Yes, this hyper-masculine <laughs> way, just punch me. Uh, Fight Club-esque kind of thing. And they, they say to him uh, something along the lines of, like, you know, some people were talking shit about the pilot of that EVA unit. Anybody talks crap, like, you know, you know we'll take care of them. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a moment of, like, trying to atone uh, for the way that they, they not only how, how Toji treated Shinji, but, like, how he thought about him. Like, he had the wrong impression of him. Toji has had that moment where he was in the plug and he saw Shinji and he's like, oh, shit, everything I did was fucking terrible right. like he actually has that moment i think well it's off screen but but the the thing that really is like shinji's on his way out like you know he's with the 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 men in black he's like literally got his bag full of stuff he's ready to go off and these and his friends come up to him they offer this to him and then he's walking away and he turns around and he yells i'm dishonest i'm a coward uh, i'm a i'm a sneak i'm a weakling he mm-hmm. can't accept it like yeah. he, he he is he is shocked to the point where like someone sees something positive in him and he his immediate reaction is to say, No, I am actually garbage. He has internalized that so much at this point. It's 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 heartbreaking to see when someone finally does reach out, he can't quite accept it until the end of the episode. Dun 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 <laughs> <laughs> Um the end of the episode when Misato realizes that she needs to get him back. Yeah. Um, she has finally realizes what Ritsuko was trying to explain to her about the hedgehog's dilemma and yeah. that Shinji's reactions have just been his attempts to protect himself, that it's the only way he knows how to express his emotions. Um, mm-hmm. That She has this eye-opening moment where she's like, I finally understand. Oh, crap. I need... And it's not really clear what she thinks she's going to accomplish, um, mm. but she races over there to get to the train station. Clearly, Shinji has also had a moment where he realizes, I can't do this, I need to stay. Because just when we think he's gone and she's lost her chance, she sees him. Yeah. And he sees her standing opposite the train tracks from each other. And that that shot is held for an agonizingly long. It is shot. so long, and there and nothing happens. They just stare at yeah. each other, um, and we're left to fill in the gap of what are they thinking? Yeah, um, it's surprisingly powerful. It was a really emotional shot. He says, "I'm home," and she says, mm-hmm. "Welcome home." Yeah. And it's just a, this complete turnaround for him, him wandering and wondering, where am I going to go? It's him accepting, hey, I have a place here. If I can accept it, let's yeah. give it a try and see what happens. It is a step. Like, it really is not only for Shinji, like, you know, saying, like, maybe I can do this, but it is Misato. Oh, well. absolutely. It's her realizing, hey, this is somebody that I could actually be. Not just a ward to, but a friend to. She sees, I don't know what she sees, but she sees someone who needs her. I, I uh, And, you know, she's finally in a place where she can do that. It's touching because they're both terrified of, sure. of, of the implications of this. Mm-hmm. But they're going to do it anyway. And that's weirdly optimistic um, in a show that's just been about just crushing like depression and stress on all sides. 
Yeah, it's it's a nice way to wrap up this section of the prologue. Yeah, this is a this seemed like a, a pretty natural stopping point. Like this whole arc of like you know introduction, and it's a lot here. Sets the stage not just in terms of plot and characters, but in terms of the emotional context of this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're going to get into more of that uh, in the next couple episodes. But what did you, so what did, what was your take on this? I guess in terms of the first four episodes, rewatching them again, like what stood out and like what, you know, did you have a favorite moment from any of this? So I would say that I had two favorite moments. So the first one was that end shot. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably in, at least in part, because it was the most recent thing I've seen. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other three I watched probably a week ago at this point, getting ready for this. So I didn't actually know what my favorite episode was or favorite moment was. Yeah, that just that emotional moment for whatever reason was really great. Mm -hmm. And then just that battle moment, the moment where the Eva goes rogue and starts beating the crap out of that angel. Yeah, that the the kid in me is just like, yeah, get it. Robots <laughs> <laughs> fighting. This is what I paid for. Exactly. Um, you know, in terms that that has nothing to do with. I mean, it's also an emotional moment, I guess, for the show. Mm. It definitely has a lot of impact. So oh, yeah, I sorry. guess it's my favorite for both those reasons. It's just cool, yeah. but also it has so much implication for what's going to happen going forward. It leaves so many questions about mm-hmm. the nature of the EVA units. Like how in the world is this even possible? Those are my favorites. Uh, what I'm looking forward to going forward is learning more, learning slash remembering more about Second Impact, the history of this whole world, how we got to the place we're at, what Nerve's mm-hmm. role is it in it, both in terms of what their obvious role is but then the hidden motives behind the characters. Kind of the mystery of the whole. Mm-hmm. I want some universe. of my questions answered and it's going to take some time and I'm ready for it. There's a good wiki I can point you to. Uh, I did a little bit of light skimming. No, no, I do not want, I want to watch this as much as I can as if it were my first time. That's fair. Uh, I've been um, looking some things up after. I watched the episodes to kind of clarify. I don't really want to read a whole lot more than that because yeah. I'm enjoying getting the experience all over again. I mean, you know, certain things about certain character dynamics and certain plot beats, certain. Oh, like, sure. To actually experience them again and with fresh eyes. Like, yeah, that's definitely. I mean, I went to the wikis, but um, <laughs> to each their own, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so what about you? What what's your what's your takeaway? What are you looking forward to? And what was your favorite moment? So the I guess my my favorite moment was probably it was probably the moment with Kensuke at the tent. Because it it is that moment of peace. It is that mm-hmm. moment not only of peace but of connection. Yeah. Like Kensuke kind of accepts Shinji for who he is. He doesn't ask him a lot of questions. He doesn't like probe him. He doesn't use him for anything. He mm-hmm. just connects with him. He's like, yeah, I don't have a mother either. It's it's what Shinji needed uh, and, and will need going forward. And the fact that like, Kensuke is kind of this, not guileless, but like very open, very mature kid that 
sees what Shinji needs and reaches out to him, like that really kind of touched me. I mean, especially because like the whole arc of these these four hour, first four episodes, I watched them all in one go, and by the end, mm-hmm. I was just I was just done. Like it, <laughs> it was draining in a lot of ways. It's it's this constant tension and this constant understanding of what Shinji's going through. It was just kind of painful to watch in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. utterly authentic in a, in a a in what a kid would be doing at that age kind of way. Yeah, it was just kind of remarkable. In terms of what I would uh going forward um uh so the next couple episodes we're going to watch like uh are going to focus a little bit more on Ray. I'm really fascinated to revisit that relationship between Shinji and Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh because there's certain elements in these first episodes, first four episodes where Shinji sees Ray as almost someone he wants to be. Like she's in the classroom, like kind of staring at not talking with anyone. And I'm pretty sure Shinji's like, man, I want that to be me on some level. Yeah. Uh, be unbothered by all this shit. Um, Ray is like her own, like very complex character. Uh, but I'm really interested to revisit that. Like through the lens of time, like, you know, what is Shinji's, what, is she, what does he see in Ray and what does she see in him? So I think that's it. We made it through it. Um, we yay. It was longer than we thought it would be, but uh, that is, uh, yeah. This might this episode might go a little bit long. A little bit. I think the f- future ones are going to be a little bit shorter. Uh, we had to do a lot of setup here, uh, that kind of thing. But yeah, that's uh, that's going to be it for this uh, episode of Evangel again. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about um, episodes five through seven, uh, which is the end of the prologue arc of Evangelion. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or insights you want to share with us, you can email us at evangelagain at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter at, uh, at evangelagain. Uh, April, where can uh, people find you? So I am on both Twitter and Instagram as at A-L-Cowet, uh, spelled A-L-C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E. Uh, very easy to remember. And I am on Instagram much more often than I'm on Twitter, but I am going to try to be a little bit more active there. Twitter's a a terrible place. Like, you you don't (laughs) want to spend more time on Twitter. Fair. That said, you can find me on Twitter. uh, And I'm fairly active there because I, yeah. I am at uh, Galenblade, G-A-L-E-N-B-L-A-D-E. I had it when I was 14 and I just never shook it, like... It sounded cooler then. But you didn't have it on Twitter when you were 14 because it didn't exist. Don't, don't. I make poor decisions. So yeah, uh, if you'd like to help out with the the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast service of choice, iTunes or Google or what have you. Uh, It does help people discover the show. Uh, Our next podcast will be up uh, next week. Um, Not quite sure when this one's going up, but uh, a week from when this was first available, you will get the second episode where we'll talk about episodes five through seven. But until then... I guess witty we'll sign off yeah i don't really have a witty sign off do you have one by any chance i know i assumed that when you wrote witty sign off in the show notes that you would come up with a witty sign off in the meantime i assumed the same um <laughs> so, so until next time bye everybody bye